Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and we've got Autumn Brennan, our resident teen expert here at MTC. Welcome, Autumn. Hello. Welcome. Thank you, Megan. We're going to cover puberty, adolescence, what to notice for parenting your sensitive preteen, your sensitive teenager, and how to understand the difference between what is hormonal developmentally appropriate behavior for a sense for a sensitive teen and uh, what is out of that uh, realm of, of developmentally appropriate. Right. And, and if you're struggling to wonder, okay, my kid is nine, 10, 11, 12, all the way up through 15, 16, 17, and you're trying to assess their intense behaviors and your child is dealing with daily meltdowns, multiple times a week, shutdowns or outbursts refusals, then you definitely want to make sure that you're paying attention to today's show, because we're going to cover how to break out of the cycle in the first place, uh, while also noticing what part of behavior, these behaviors are to be expected at this age, and what is out of the line of, uh, of developmentally appropriate for sensitive kids to begin with. So it's important for you to be paying attention to that. And in that shift, because we're not just talking about all teenagers, we're talking about sensitive kids through puberty. And, and uh, this is really important for us to cover today. So I'm excited. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you just brought up um, just the idea, right, of developmentally appropriate behavior because um, teens are this weird anomaly where all of a sudden things start to happen that um, you, a lot of parents do get into that place of wait, we've heard about the teens, especially if this is your first teen, right? <laughs> we've, we've heard about this coming heard about it. and then there, there has, there's this moment of, is this normal, right? Is this the, this is what was coming. Um, or is this kind of moving outside of those boundaries? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're here to speak a little bit to what is normal, right. Or what we could say is, is typical, right. I don't yeah. want to use that word, but really what's typical, mm-hmm. um, for some of your teens and, and maybe even talk a little bit about, um, just the urges that they experience in this stage of development, because mm-hmm. biologically their body's telling them to do things, um, that wasn't telling them to do a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're struggling with these daily meltdown shutdown cycles and your child or teen is hitting, kicking, throwing things, uh, shutting themselves up in their room, running, running away from you in, in any context, whether that be at home and they're just uh, leaving and, and just saying, forget it. I can't, you don't understand me. Um, or life would be better off without me. Any of these statements, or, you know, you, you'll never get it and totally shutting down in, in any of these circumstances, then this is all behavior that are symptoms of the meltdown cycle. So even if your child isn't having meltdowns on a daily basis or isn't shutting down on, on, on a daily basis, you want to look at those behaviors that I just mentioned and start ticking those as part of the, the same kind of boxes here. So it's important for you to look at the intensity of these behaviors as well as the frequency and how long they're lasting. When we think about what's within the developmental appro- developmentally appropriate realm of behavior and what's typical for, for preteens and teens this age, as well as noticing what's typical for sensitive preteens and, and teens this age. And, and that's obviously our specialty here at MTC, helping parents and, and teens and, and their children break out of the cycle in as little as eight weeks. We've been doing this for years now. Uh, we've helped over 350 families do this consistently. Um, and we're just getting started. <laughs> um, right. On. And so knowing that uh, it's something that we've seen families be, be fully capable of, of 
seeing a completely different level of possibility for your teen. And, and we're going to be talking about this. I might say teen today. I'm also wanting those of you who are listening with preteens or, you know, nine, 10 year olds, et cetera, just to stay tuned because this is around the corner for you. And uh, you might be wondering about early puberty signs and, and things like that at this point. So make sure that you're paying attention as well. So, right. right. <sighs> Let's talk about what is regular, right? What, what is to be expected for, for teenagers in, in, this, in this behavior at this point, right? So in, in puberty, kids are, are noticing that their clothes are fitting differently. Um, they, they're starting to increase their opinions of, of their preferences of their friends, um, starting to weigh uh, friendship uh, decisions. Uh, with a higher priority than relationship with parents. So um, this can be really important for you as a parent to be paying attention to because around age 11 is when the, uh, the child and uh, the child brain starts to perceive a peer's opinion higher than their parents. And we're going to talk about that a lot today um, and how that impacts your relationship with your preteen and your teen. Uh, and how you as a parent need to be able to focus on this with your highly sensitive kid, um, because there's, there's some really important pieces and, and nuances to that scientific understanding uh, that, is, that needs to be shifted in your, in your awareness for parenting a sensitive child compared to parenting a child who is not highly sensitive. So uh, what else are, are preteens and teens dealing with these days? <laughs> well, oof. these days versus always, right? <laughs> right. It's going to jump there. Um, and right. That's, that's, that's also part of it because, um, you know, naturally teens are going to start to value, not just peers more, but they're also valuing privacy. They're also valuing mm-hmm. independence, um, more so than a younger child. And, you know, just the way that you brought that in, there's lots of red flags that can, can come up, um, right now in our society with just different advances in technology. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, how, teens have access to different information, to different opinions, um, to, you know, a a world, um, that even, you know, as a a parent that is, um, you know, really involved in, in what their teen is doing, um, you may not know everything that your teen is into. Um, Mm -hmm. it is developmentally appropriate for your teen to start to think more about not just the, their clothes and the way that their clothes are fitting, but also the image that they're portraying to others, what they they're starting to care more about, um, what others think about their body, right. About, um, you know, their material items, they, um, you know, naturally, right. Um, want to be more out of the house, right? They, they might want to be separated from family members that they had strong relationships with previously, like younger siblings, mm-hmm. all typical, all typical teens also naturally are going to want to experiment more. They might want to experiment with things that they've heard about, but they didn't have access to previously. Now they're older, right? They're, they're wiser, wiser <laughs> in the air quotes. And, right. <laughs> Um, but they, but they certainly have more knowledge, right. Than they did before. And like I said, greater access and they're curious, um, and their curiosity is going to lead them to experimentation again, developmentally appropriate, right. Um, it is safer for a human adolescent to go out and experiment while it still has the support of its family unit. Right. Um, we know that in general, um, teens are going to start to, um, risk take more. So not just experimentation, um, with maybe sexuality, maybe with, um, romantic relationships, um, with intimacy. Um, but they may also, um, be a little bit more willing to take risks that previously they hadn't. And this is an interesting area for, um, someone that is highly sensitive because, you know, we, we think about the highly sensitive child, they, they have that stop wait, pause, check the environment reflex. And all of a sudden in the teenage years, you might notice that that starts to decrease a little bit, Mm -hmm. not completely though, right? It's still there. And that might show up um, in anxiety and, and in some of the problem behaviors that you're seeing, right? Because you've got a contradiction happening within their body. Your friends are taking more risks. They wanna hang out with their friends. They're not sure. Mm -hmm. what to do. 
right? Yeah. Um, because they just have two different sides of them working at that same time, creates a lot of confusion, creates a lot of overwhelm, might even create some shame. Now you've got mm-hmm. a teenager that's sitting in their room isolating, right? Because they don't really know how they might not have the skills to set boundaries or to talk to their friends about it. And they're not really sure how to engage in that conversation with you because they might not really be clear on how um, you're going to view this experimentation or this risky behavior that we're talking about here. Um, So same time, right? You just said, I just said autumn, but they want more privacy and that's normal. They want more independence and that's normal. So isn't it okay that they're in their room all night long? That's it. Here's where we go. Here's where we go. What is developmentally appropriate for a teenager? And then where do teens and preteens stuck in the meltdown cycle who are highly sensitive, stuck in the shutdown refusal cycle, right? Right. Where do they fall in in this line, right? And, And so let's talk about that. It's really highly focused on intensity, understanding the intensity of how your, your teen, your preteen is communicating to you or the lack thereof. And that's incredibly important. You just named it right. Hours on end. There we go. There's number one. Right. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Number one. Um, and you know, when we think about the, the, the other piece that I was noticing there, um, you, when you're highly sensitive and you do experience, um, a great deal of empathy or a great deal of compassion um, towards other people. You, you don't want to seek out help from a parent because you might feel guilty that you did something yeah. or you might um, be worried, regardless of whether or not it's factual that you should be worried. Um, remember, we're talking about a teenager here um, about what that per- how that person is going to respond. And so, you know, second layer to this, we, we've got a teen that is wanting to engage in a new behavior, really curious about it. And might also recognize because they are highly sensitive and they do have that gut there. Sometimes, sometimes they might hear it, um, that I should probably get a little support on this, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to reach out for that support. Even if your Mm -hmm. teen is highly articulate, that doesn't mean that their emotions that they're experiencing are going to allow them to go to the people that you're, you're telling them they can use as supports. You know, I hear a lot of parents yeah. talk about, well, I told them if they can't come to me, they can go to their teacher or they can go to this adult, or they can go to this person. We're making the assumption that mm-hmm. not only are, does your teen have the vocabulary to do it, which I find that highly sensitive teens are um, typically very articulate, right? They, they do have basic social skills. The problem is they don't have the emotion regulation to be able to go to that person and ask for help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Asking for help is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And, and we want to look at the understanding of what that means, because for you as a parent, if you've been stuck in this meltdown cycle for so long, now you're coming into puberty, you might be thinking, okay, here's the end. (laughs) Uh, I just need to make it through puberty and then maturity will help click, click in. And, uh, you know, my sensitive teen will level out eventually. I was a wild ride as a teenager. And, and so this is just run of the mill, right. Or maybe I was, you know, I engaged in a heck of a lot harder behaviors, um, than my kid is now, or, or perhaps your, your viewpoint of what, of what your childhood was like, or what your behavior was like, it could be a little skewed because right now you're used to your teen's behavior, Um, And so it's hard to look at it objectively, but let's pay attention to what Autumn was just talking about, right? This whole component around the intensity of um, believing that the behaviors that your kid is engaging in, hitting, kicking, screaming, running away, right? Um, Shutting down, just saying, I can't, I won't, I'll never, um, this will never work out for me, et cetera. Uh, And going down to all of those rabbit holes of, of what those behaviors can look like the, the, it's incredibly important for you to notice that your kid hasn't grown out of it yet. And so that's a pretty clear sign with those intense behaviors that if your child hasn't grown out of intense behavior cycles, by the time they are four, then they are not engaging in developmentally appropriate behavior. Okay. Um, 
you know, daily meltdowns are inappropriate. You've heard me say this before, uh, for even for two-year-olds, that's a lot of out of control experiencing that your kid is having on a daily basis. We would look at how long those are for a two-year-old, but for a four-year-old, they definitely shouldn't be happening daily. And, and this is true for highly sensitive kids. We help highly sensitive parents of sensitive kids break out of that daily meltdown cycle for, you know, with, with two and a, with two and a half year olds, three-year-olds, et cetera. And uh, the same goes through all the way up through, um, through adolescence and, and into, into that, you know, that, that graduation of high school threshold. And so the statements I'm making around, you know, your threshold perspective of this major behavior needs to be uh, four, four years old. Uh, you know, if your kid's nine, if your kid's uh, 12, if, you're, if your kid's 15, um, then start to notice how many years you've left behind um, we've got behind you with, with this belief that it's going to eventually end. That is your child's life. We're looking at like, like their entire lifetime has been spent in suffering and struggle. And so has yours, your entire parenting lifetime has been spent in suffering and struggle. Um, and you haven't been able to break out of it by now. So let's, let's observe what, why that is, right? It's not because you're not trying. It's not because your kid's not awesome. We know that your kid's awesome. And so are you. And so then we have to observe, all right, there's a missing skill set here. Okay. Um, there's a missing skill set that a lot of highly sensitive kids have, and that is the ability to regulate their emotions and manage them effectively. And so, you know, as Autumn says, there's a big difference between intellectually knowing what to do and emotionally feeling capable of what, what to do. And when you think about how that impacts preteens and teens, in the, their peer relationships, as well as in, in their parenting, you know, their relationship to their parents, that is the exact thought process that's going on in your kid's head. You know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't think it's going to work. Or I know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't want to talk to you about it because I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm so stuck in my emotional intensity. There's a volcano brewing um, and there's no way I'm going to get out of it. Right. right. So what does that, what does that do to the, to the, to the teen brain, to the, to the preteens, um, self-concept, self-esteem on them. How are the highly sensitive kids suffering um, when their outward language might be no, never, or nothing? Right. That's a, that's a really good indicator that they're sitting in shame. That's a really good indicator that they're sitting in a place of um, feeling pressured to perform at a level that they're not certain that they can perform at, which mm -hmm. leads to guilt, which leads to a sense of powerlessness, which contributes to your teen, you know, on, on the one hand, wanting to start to in involve themselves in all of these different things that are being thrown at them, that they're expected to involve themselves in, um, mm -hmm. you know, AP classes, um, you know, for, you know, some of the, the younger preteens doing different sports or making sure that they have um, some kind of artistic involvement. So, you know, maybe it's soccer, maybe it's soccer and theater and horseback riding, you know, kind of feeling this pressure to get straight A's to just, you know, somebody says, oh, you forgot to do that. Well, you can tell your teacher that. And the mm -hmm. reality is, is that they may be thinking to themselves, I can't talk to my teacher about that. No way. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, from your perspective as their parent, you're thinking to yourself, well, of course you can. You talk to me all the time about this, where I've seen you ask for, for, for things. And so there, it starts to create not just a, a shame spiral and a sense of powerlessness, helplessness for the teen, but also for you as a parent, it starts to build frustration because information that you're seeing in front of you is, is not what's actually, um, happening. Right. So yes, I know yeah. my team, my teens articulate, they should be able to carry this out and they're not starts to generate frustration. This starts to create ruptures in the relationship between you and your teen. And so mm -hmm. now we're in a place where maybe even both of you start to feel more isolated, start to mm -hmm. feel like, I don't know how to connect with my family unit, yeah. loneliness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right. We all just moved out of a pandemic. We know how that feels. Yeah. 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 And that level of, of helplessness and powerlessness is something that we hear from parents all the time, struggling to break out of this pattern, not knowing how to do it consistently keeps mm -hmm. you stuck and feeling like you're running on a hamster wheel. And uh, when you don't know how to get off, right. Cause it's just keep going. You, you, you don't feel capable of, 
of jumping back off of that hamster wheel um, and knowing that you'll land safely, you end up staying on the hamster wheel. You end up just letting the days go by and realizing, holy smokes, um, it, it, you know, it's summertime now. Where, where did my, um, you know, where did the time go? And um, that experience of, of living day by day without being present is part of the survival mode experience of parents who are stuck in this meltdown cycle. And so is your teen. So your teen puts, kicks the can down the road and building that skill because they don't have the correct strategy. And so do you. Um, and, and there's no judgment here and aware, being aware of that. What our job here is in this moment and in these trainings, uh, these, these shows here is to talk about how you can observe what patterns you're already in right? Because if you're, if you notice that you're in patterns that you weren't clear about before you listen to what we have to say, um, then you can be more motivated to notice how pervasive the challenge is and to fix it from the root. Um, it's not just about getting your teen to speak up to their teacher who won't um, teach them in a different way and they don't understand the concept or um, it's not just about being able to ask for help from a tutor or from the coach who is, is trying to um, you know, play them a lot on the team and, and they just need a break or, or vice versa, right? Needing, wanting more playing time and not really knowing how to achieve that. So all of those are day-to-day -day issues, right? That you might be coaching your teen on or trying to coax your teen into, which we see a lot more of rather than actual coaching. And without the skill to coach your teen, coach your kid, um, the, the, the capacity to build that relationship with your kid is um, is really pretty minimal when when your child is stuck judging themselves every other day um, and or multiple times a day even um, for not having it all together. You know we know the highly sensitive people, highly sensitive teens are no different. Want to get things right the first time, and so when your teen is struggling in this way and they don't see that they are capable, they quit. Right, they quit. Right. They shut down. They start to separate from you more. They, they may, you know, start to move into circles of peers that they feel like are accepting them, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it, you know, unintentionally they they're going to send the message. You're not doing it right. You're doing it wrong. There's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so they start to move towards um, other individuals that may also be feeling this way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, get a group of individuals together that are feeling a need for connection because they're not finding it um, in other places that might be, you know, supportive or, or safer. Right. Mm -hmm. Because a, gr a group of teenagers <laughs> all feeling lonely <laughs> and unsupported, uh, yeah. ready to, for experimentation, um, you know, hate to say it. And it, you know, certainly can be true mm -hmm. that can just yes. create more of an unsafe situation. Yes. And, you know, some of these kids are, are really, really great kids. It, there's yes. not, it's not, I'm not, you know, kind of sitting here targeting and being like, oh, these are the bad kids. No, by no means no. they're no. fantastic kids. Um, and they don't have the guidance, they don't have support and they don't know how to get it. And so they start getting mm -hmm. it from one another. But again, we're going back to, this is a group of adolescent brains. Yeah. That's a, lost, that's a dangerous lost. group. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because as they are all learning how to avoid risky risk-taking, right. 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 Um, and every, you know, every single kid in that group is, is learning at the extreme level rather than learning in a balanced way. Right. Um, then, then you have that, that, you know, the, that just pot will, will, <laughs> and you just have that pot ready to bubble over, right? Um, because you're just continuously turning up the heat when you have multiple kids in the same same peer group who don't don't know where they stand in the world, don't know where they stand in their relationships to their parents, don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about any challenges that they have. So they feel isolated in that relationship. And then they don't have the skills to advocate for their needs amongst a bunch of uh, teenagers who will be impulsive. And so then we have teens who are engaging in drugs or risky sex, sexual behaviors or promiscuity um, you know, constantly sucked into different worlds online, uh, whether those are, are uh, very appropriate or just simply the intensity of how long they're on the screens um, is, is the major issue here. Um, right. the, you know, your, your kid could be into Dungeons and Dragons and, and 
um, you might find that that's innocent and part of it is not, you know, the way that teens are talking to each other and the language that they're using can be highly sexualized, um, can be, you know, pretty intense in terms of innuendos or threatening with each other, um, just in veiled languaging and et cetera. And, and all of that is, is a, a combination of multiple teens together who are who are lost in their emotional structure and uh, their ability to regulate their emotions um, we notice the difference and, and this is important i'm using the word lost i'm not using the word broken all right mm -hmm. your kid needs a blueprint right um, doesn't need to be repaired and you know they're they're not and, and so it's important to observe who is the right person to set that blueprint for you right with you um, for your team and uh, as much as we know that sensitive teens and, and non-sensitive teens alike uh, prioritize their peer relationships over their relationship with their parents, the research is the same. The research is the same for sensitive kids and that's through adolescence um, all the way up to adulthood that parent-child relationship is the catalyst for change. And so even if your gap is wider than it used to be with your kid, uh, with you feeling connected to your kid as your child has, has aged, that that still, that doesn't mean that it's not still the gap that needs to be filled in order to guide your teen and preteen into making safe choices with their peers and making safe choices at home, making safe choices um, in all relationships to include choices that lead to success. Okay. So I'm talking about safe choices by, you know, keeping hands to self, not engaging in, in uh, use of drugs and, and it, setting boundaries around peer experimentation that doesn't put them in risky positions, et cetera. But I'm also talking about safety in the sense of, of you know, when you see yourself as a fantastic artist, it's incredibly emotionally unsafe to go through life, not drawing. Um, go ahead on. I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll, but I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I you. love, I love where you're going with this because <laughs> you know, when we, the, the side of this that you're going towards is that perfectionistic people pleasing side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just as much as a teen needs, um, a parent, um, to help support them in experimentation of new ideas, um, or mm -hmm. experimentation of the new world that they have access to. It's also imperative that they have a, a parent or they have a, an emotional support system. They have that blueprint for how to do things like decline an invitation po mm -hmm. with, with, a, with positivity gracefully. Right. Um, they they need to be able to set boundaries academically, athletically, um, mm -hmm. you know, in creative endeavors. Um, mm -hmm. They need to be able to learn that, you know, it's OK to not have every single waking minute planned mm -hmm. <laughs> doing something yeah. for somebody else. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and, you know, as they're trying to, um, you know, developmentally, as they're in this place where they want to, uh, you know, please their peers, please um, people outside of their, their family unit, they really need that support system within their family unit, somebody that is going to be there for them um, on the side when they're not in the public guy saying, right. Hey, we need to check in. Yeah. And, and you want them to be able to be honest with you about their check-in about their burnout. Yep. I'm right. talking about teaching teens burnout way before they ever hit the workplace. Right. right. Uh, we talk about burnout, you know, for college students, we talk about it for, um, people in, you know, the, their professional lives. We don't talk enough mm -hmm. about talking to teenagers, especially highly sensitive people, pleasing perfectionistic teenagers. We don't talk to them enough about burnout and why no. they need to really understand that concept. Um, and you as a parent, as you um, start to have that conversation, you might notice it's a lot more difficult than you thought it was gonna be. And they might feel a little bit lost and you might feel a little bit lost um, in, in really how to bring this up and how to navigate it. Um, because how do I navigate? I wanna be successful. I want people to, to see me as successful. I need to do all of the things wait, you're burning yourself out and you're going to fall flat. Your teen's going to look at you and be like, no, I'm going to be fine. And then three yeah. days later, bawling, not able to go to school or um, not able to finish a project that they were working on, completely shut down and frozen. Exactly. 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 And the, 
belief system that uh, this is something that you highlight that you highlighted when we first got rolling here, which is the the belief system that other people's needs come before mine, um, can be incredibly important to tear down um, with with parenting a sensitive teen and and uh, preteen. Because as you work through understanding the, the peer pressure dynamic as a preteen and teen, um, you need to be able to be the only, I mean, you're the only one who's taking care of yourself. Right? Yeah. So, um, and in those circumstances, especially if your parents aren't around. And so for you as a parent, you need to be able to teach your teen how to do that. And I just wanted to, you know, it sparked me as soon as, soon as you said that it sparked me the, um, one of our recent grads and their, their kid is 13 and she literally is on her way to, um, a, a trip, um, in, uh, you know, that's like the eighth grade trip to, to a big city. And <laughs> she was caught between a rock and a hard place trying to figure out how to help all of her friends pack and, uh, deal with sports and deal with her own schoolwork and, you know, plan, you know, plan for, for her herself in this trip. Right. And, um, she was exhausted and her mom shared with her, you know, she had two options. She could go to sports or she could take a nap. None of those options were that she was going to help her friends pack on FaceTime, right. Which is yeah. where she was leaning towards and what they were. Um, and, and, and so that caretaking role that, you know, your teen, your preteen is capable of, um, engaging, which by the way, she chose to take a nap. She chose to take care of herself. She did not take care of her friends and she did not, um, you know, she, she needed a break. She got a, she got a moment, the sports games were canceled and all that jazz. So it was totally fine to skip practice one day, um, for a mental health moment too. And, and so the, the important piece about that, you know, mom, this mom was just celebrating this in our, in our group, um, is the fact that a 13 year old is fully capable of noticing what's possible for their own personal boundaries, hearing from their parents, okay, um, and following two effective, you know, choices either way, you know, your parent, for you as a parent, you can take it or leave it, right? Do one of the two things. But what I don't want you to do is railroad your needs and, and, and caretake your friends. So to their parents, teach them how to pack, right? <laughs> On that eighth grade overnight. And, um, but as a sensitive teen, you know, this is totally normal for, for her to want to help, right? Um, and to even hear <laughs> from her friends that she, that, you know, that they don't know how to do it because that's, you know, I, you know, oh, I haven't gotten to it yet. Or, uh, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. She's already had it figured out, right? She'd been packed for a week because again, we know, <laughs> you know, I might be exaggerating on when they packed, but she was done. She knew how to do it. It was a skill she learned, right? Again, this whole component of like self-sufficiency, um, that's not the only thing we're talking about. We're not just talking about intellectual self-sufficiency or task-oriented self-sufficiency. We're talking about relationship self-sufficiency here. Exactly, exactly. And, and how to effectively navigate a more adult-like or more mature relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. At the end yeah. of the day, that, that that's kind of what we're talking about. We're, we're really nailing it down to how do you successfully navigate more mature relationships or just relationships with other individuals and your relationship with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Teens are creating an identity. Yes. Um, they're not just exploring their identity. They're actually deciding what's the identity that um, I, I think that I want to lean towards who, who mm -hmm. do I want to be in relation to this world? and not having a support system that's going to be able to address them or talk to them or challenge them um, or interact with them in a way that's going to keep them present in the conversation is really going to stifle their relationship maturity beyond just their teenage years, right? Yeah. If, if, if they're not able to learn it now, when do they learn that? Exactly. Right. Exactly. When do they learn that? When do they practice that in a way that doesn't lead you to, um, like learning the hard way, right. You know, right. this 13 year old, I just, it's just a fantastic example. She mm -hmm. obviously I'm not using names for all the obvious reasons. Right. But you know, she, she knew, um, or she, she wanted to, excuse me, she wanted to help her friends out. She was also going to be gone for what, three, four days, those trips are usually, um, with those friends that she was thinking she was going to help and then go spend time with them. So think about the emotional strife 
of hmm, my friends ha- don't have an objective met. I know how to meet that objective. And if I don't volunteer to help them, by the way, they know I've already met the objective. If I, I feel obligated just because I want the best for people and I'm highly sensitive. And so I see how this is a big burden for them and I want to help. Right. I see all of that. And so I feel obligated to do it for, you know, for, for, because I'm a loyal friend and I care about these people Mm -hmm. and hearing from a parent, that's not your job. And having that teenager respond to mom with, okay, rather than you have no idea, right? I mean, I know for sure, everybody listening to this, you're stuck in the meltdown shutdown cycle, your kid if you had set that limit with your kid would be responding with, you don't get it. You don't understand. I got to spend, you know, four days with these people. They're going to, I can't disappoint them. I can't, I can't even save face if I weren't, you know, were to say no, right. There's no way I'm going to say no. And then go sleep over with these people. Right. Right. Um, Usually those trips, it's like, you know, four kids to a room or whatever chaperone Mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I'm not going to go sleep over with these girls and, and not, you know, not have, um, and, and have not helped them. I have no skill to navigate that. Right. There's no way I'll know what to say. There's no way I'll know what to do if they shun me because preteens can do that kind of stuff real quick. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all of that, all those gears are turning in, in your kid's brain. And we know that's how preteens and teens can be. Mm-hmm. And so it's not unrealistic for her to worry about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and a 13 year old with skills that you teach them doesn't even have to have an argument about it just gets to hear oh right here's the bigger picture because I am a teenager and I'm supposed to be stuck in the here and now moments I'm supposed to be um with you know experiencing life with tunnel vision Mm -hmm. that's developmentally appropriate I'm not supposed Mm -hmm. to be thinking about you know my relationship skills five years down the road that's my parents job to think about how I build those skills from a bigger right. picture component. Right. Right. And show the guidance. Yeah. And, and what's happening in that situation is the parent is, is role modeling. This is acceptable. This mm-hmm. is how external relationships go. It yeah. is a health, you know, role modeling. It's a healthy relationship to be able to say no to a friend and then enjoy them later. Thank yeah. you for so <laughs> much for wanting my opinion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking a nap. <laughs> good luck talk to your mom right. <laughs> or your dad or whatever right. healthy relationships with you know one of your girlfriends right? as an adult facetime and you know or, or i'm saying like thinking more like young adult right because this kind of yeah. stuff happens you know even up to a young adult um you know the idea of you know still having that question in your mind but that healthy relationship to be able to say no i have an exam tomorrow yeah i'm helping you pack love you bye right love that- you. see you later yeah <laughs> that's relationship codependency right i don't think that we're capable of keeping a friendship if i don't do everything that uh, in my power to not disappoint you Right. And now 13, 14, 15, now mm. is the time to be oh. modeling that. Yeah. And practicing and practicing it and having that child's brain be able to have the evidence. Right. And mm-hmm. that's not the only skill though, right. That yeah. There's lots of other ones out there <laughs> so um, that, that we need to be building, but you're right. This is a fantastic example of why this is so important, right. Um, to get this in there now. Mm-hmm. The other thing, um, you know, that you, that you were just talking about that mom and, and how she was able to just say, no, you're not, you know, putting up that boundary. <laughs> My guess is that she didn't say it that way. No, right? no, no, no. Right. Exactly. And right. how to say it in a way that works. Right. That's right. not what we're focusing on here, but the big right. picture response is like, no, you should not be packing your, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I'm thinking about it, Megan, cause I'm thinking about, you know, even earlier we were talking about those other experiment, experimental behaviors that teens mm-hmm. naturally engage in. It, it's really easy as a parent to immediately catastrophize, um, yeah. or to just think, that's what, you know, that's what you're doing online in, in your room. I need to just take it all away. Like, right. You, no, you know what? You're not going to be able to go online. We're just taking that mm-hmm. away. Um, or they, they sit down and, and they, 
are experiencing their own frustration or they're experiencing um, their own worry, fear about what yeah. might happen next. You mean you made out, you, you made out with somebody at school. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to tell you about why it is that you're going to end up pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. That moment yeah. of, of, you know, as a, as a parent, really thinking about how you're responding um, to mm-hmm. some of these, to some of these just again, developmentally appropriate behaviors, um, with your HSC, you you might unintentionally just completely turn them off, shut them down. So at that point, they're not listening to you and they're hearing the message. My parent doesn't get me and I can't really come to them for support while I'm going through a really confusing time. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I might even want to avoid them. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, whether that particular behavior, this example of, of making out at school um, is, is meeting in your family's values, right? So public right. displays of affection um, to include that level of canoodling might not be something that you really want your kid to be displaying. And, and that's totally appropriate for yep. you to have that family value. Yeah. And the, it, it, what's incredibly important for you to notice is how you're teaching that. Because if your kid's going from risk taking extremes, then you can't be teaching your kid from risk, from, from extremes and parenting examples. And, um, and so this is where that balance comes in. You need skills as a parent and so does your team. And so this mm-hmm. is important because if you're going through, um, just by saying, look, I love you. I don't want this for you. The, these are the values that I'm hoping to raise you with, bef- you know, for X, Y, Z reason. And the delivery of that comes across as, uh, you know, not only panicked, but also pretty intense then teaching your kid who's already engaging in pretty intense behaviors that we don't make decisions from intensity, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be incredibly difficult for you. And actually quite contradictory. They'll be looking at you like a hypocrite and, uh, teenagers will tell you that. <laughs> right. 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 When you, when you come at them with, why are you embarrassing me? Why are you embarrassing yourself? Trying to convince them. Right. And they're thinking, tell me I make a big deal of things. You're making a big deal of things. How do I learn from you? Right. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. I love that. I, lo- I love that you're kind of pointing out that, that flip side of it. And, and, you know, again, Megan, these are all skills that, that parents can learn and can learn um, to use with a highly sensitive teen. So not just a, a teen, your typical teen that's going through all of these different changes, but with a highly sensitive teen that really has that shame blanket wrapped around them that really struggles mm-hmm. um, with, you know, again, not just shame, but what shame can kind of simmer down to that powerless, Mm. powerlessness, that helplessness, um, you know, just feeling isolated, feeling alone, even, even your perfectionistic teens that are doing a million different things, um, trying to people, please, um, they end up in that spot too, of feeling surrounded by people and completely alone, completely isolated. Mm -hmm. Like they're not understood. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Somebody yeah. can only sit there for so long before then we start to move to even more extreme behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's developmentally appropriate for a teenager to have some mood swings for, for there to mm-hmm. be shifts in mood. It's not developmentally appropriate for your teen to have suicidal thoughts um, yeah. or to self-injure on any level. That is not mm-hmm. typical teen behavior. Um, it's not typical teen behavior to be threatening you as the parent physically, um, or, you know, even, you know, threatening physically actually with the action or, um, you know, engaging in property destruction. These are Mm -hmm. extremes. This is not the typical mood swing. I I'm having a bad day. I yelled, I slammed my door within three minutes. That entire thing was over. I'm talking kind of the other side of things. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. Noticing that intensity, you know, the, 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 the three minutes of, ah, this is ridiculous slam door. And then coming down and being like, I'm sorry, that was a lot is, (laughs) is developmentally appropriate for a teenager. And when we look at where parents of sensitive teens are headed in this meltdown, shutdown, refusal cycle, um, the understanding of how long that yelling is lasting, how long that those outbursts are lasting, how many times the door is slammed a day. Um, right. and, and, and the fact that the doors are slammed daily is, is still pretty intense. I mean, that's a lot going on for everybody's nervous system. 
mm-hmm. in the household, especially, you know, even if you have other children, you could be thinking about how your other kids are learning from your sensitive teen in this, in this dynamic as well. And um, let alone just the fact that if you're losing it uh, with your teen, because it can be incredibly hard without skills and a strategy to keep it together, um, you know, noticing that right. and observing how your younger children or older children are seeing um, this intensity and whether or not they feel safe sharing emotions with you, even if their emotions aren't as deep, big, or intense, um, it doesn't mean that, the, that they don't have uh, emotional experiences that they want to be vulnerable around with you. And, um, that can really impact the entire family dynamic, which is what we say often here at MTC, that this uh, meltdown shutdown cycle is not something that you can address by sending your kid or, or, or your preteen or teen to therapy, because it's not a kid problem. It's a family dynamic problem. It has to be addressed in an all encompassing way. So you could do that by sending every single person to individual therapy in your family. <laughs> and then and you'd then still need to have year. family therapy. <laughs> and then, exactly. And then waiting a year and then going to have family therapy after that, because everybody has to kind of level out in their relationship with that, those, their own therapists. And then they, then you need to be able to feel like you're insightful enough to sit down with each other enough to have the family therapist dynamic. Cause those level of intensities aren't going to be mitigated in once a week family therapy. Let's be sure about that. Um, And nor will they be mitigated in in once a week individual therapy. And so that's solid two years of everybody in the family going to therapy just to see some, some, some needles moved. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. your kid's still going to school. Um, You haven't broken out of the pattern all the way. You're just seeing insights. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody is, is, you know, still trying to get through the day to day of work, you have cancellations for those appointments, et cetera. So it's ex- extremely long slog to try to break this pattern in the traditional way. And that's why the traditional way doesn't work to break out of these patterns, because, you know, um, the, the, the important piece about this and, in, in, in noticing the intensity is that for teens, you and your teen need that support together simultaneously. Um, and it needs to be in a more um, intensive manner than weekly um, check-ins. And then for your kids, same thing, you know, you need an immersive experience of how to learn how to speak your kid's language. And uh, that's not something that you're going to be able to do by just tabling it, um, you know, 167 hours out of the week and only focusing it on one because we have 168 hours in every week. So um it's, it's really important to notice how your teen and how you are going to be generalizing skills and your, and your kid is, is the same. Um, that happens in a couple different ways, but the important piece that you need to be able to notice to break out of this pattern, big overarching components of our strategy here at MTC that we know works for a parent, you know, as I mentioned earlier, hundreds of families so far, and, and we're not getting, we're not stopping anytime soon. Um, that's just going to just going to keep on improving in the ability to to support parents. It, the first thing you need to be able to do, and we spoke about this a lot, is is to give your teen feedback in a way that they're going to receive it. Uh, can't be shame based, right? Can't be in, in expecting them to change uh, immediately overnight with one conversation because lectures don't work. Right. And uh, you need to be able to do this, you know, playfully, collaboratively depending on the kid's age, it needs to be in a way that uh, for the kid to learn in that playfulness, right? Right. Um, right. Can't just be goofing around about it either. That's not what I mean by playful. Right. Um, right. And then, um, you know, being able to teach them how to advocate for their needs in ways that are safe, right? And all of these strategies uh, require a system. You can't just throw things at the wall and, and talk about Um, how they stick related to specific circumstances your family's been in this week or next week or last week, if you're still reeling from that event. Um, Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. has to be much more systematic than that. You have to follow a step-by-step process. We know how to do that here at MTC um, and and guide you through it. And whether or not it's going to work for you requires us to get on the phone. We have to have a phone call about that. Yep. Yep. We're we're talking about rebuilding trust and trust is, is necessary in order to raise that that healthy, high-functioning teen that you know that your HSC can be, or your HS, HST, you sensitive teen. There we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm like sitting here and I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, that's it, right? Um, <laughs> we've, we've got these years left and, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways this, the puberty developmentally appropriate behavior can actually be helpful 
right? Because it, it, it does let you um, naturally uh, move into having some of these conversations with your teen and you, you know, both you and your teen really need the, to need the skills to be able to just use this, use these last couple of years before they, they become adult um, for all their, for, for all their worth, right? Just get mm-hmm. in there and, and really support them as much as possible. Build the structure mm-hmm. that, that you need to create a lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. And trust is built in, in the conversation, right? Yeah. You don't build trust by just, um, you know, hugs or, or sending loving glances or taking good care um, through making sandwiches and, and driving them places. You need to be able to build that trust through a conversation. Same thing goes for you accessing support. You can't build trust in your relationship with yourself as a parent, unless you're having a conversation with an expert and solving this problem, because this is a very, um, nuanced and also, um, small subset of, of, of a problem for highly sensitive kids. You know, one out of every kid, one, sorry, one out of every five kids is highly sensitive, uh, mm-hmm. but not one out of every five kids stuck in the meltdown cycle. All right. So if your kid's stuck in this meltdown cycle, then that is less than 20% of the population, um, you know, worldwide. And, and so it's really important that you start to listen to people who know what they're doing in this dynamic. And we are happy to figure out if we are those people for you (laughs) and book your call. We can have that conversation with you. You'll have a conversation with one of my coaches and we'll discuss uh, the challenges that you're struggling with. And whether or not what we do and what our strategy um, provides for families is in alignment with what your family needs. And if that's the case on that very same phone call, you can figure out exactly what you need to do and how to get started right away. Uh, Otherwise, if there's no other um, uh, option for for what we do, then we would walk you through a a different option because it's important for us as uh, coaches here at MTC is as, you know, professionals with integrity that we only work with families that we know we can help, um, which helps our success rate, obviously, but, but helps everybody involved, um, in getting the best help for you around the world. And we are absolutely happy to point you in the direction if what we do is not uh, what you need. And we do that all the time. Um, so we will keep doing it and we will speak to you soon. Bye now. Thank you for joining me on this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.